Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. Part two of our series, Better Decisions and Fewer Regrets. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you need a Bible today. Um, and I want to encourage you to go online to, uh, to our website, listen to a podcast, um, maybe watch the live stream again, so you can kind of pick up where we're at, uh, what we covered the first week. So uh, we'll try to, I tell you what, we'll, we'll spend a few minutes today because we kind of got messed up with, with, me, with me being ill and then um, uh, flu or whatever it is that I had, and then of course Mother's Day. Uh, we'll try to pick up here a little bit and just kind of see where we're at. But um, part two of this series, what we're calling this, and you should have a verse sheet inside your program that has some fill-in-the-blanks there, is uh, what we're going to call the integrity question. And um, the integrity question. And, and this series that I'm doing is based on a, a book that's written uh, by the same name. And uh, I, I know the author. I've contacted him and said, hey, can I use some of the stuff? And he's, absolutely. You need to preach this in your church. This is a good thing. You need to do this. And it will help. So a lot of the ideas are from him, uh, some of the stuff that we're, we're going to cover here today. But I really think this topic of making better decisions and having fewer regrets, though, um, I'll just tell you, as a pastor, it's, it's essential that we, we get this because I spend a lot of time counseling. And I love to counsel with people. I love to pray through things with them. But what I hear an awful lot is I, I should have or I shouldn't have or, or I regret this or I regret not doing this or why didn't I or why should I or, or, or whatever. And so it's heartbreaking to have to live a life that has regrets. And if we kind of look at those regrets, uh, we kind of look backwards on them a little bit and say, well, why do you have this regret? Well, the, the regret that I have today is because a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, I made a decision. This decision today resulted, you know, in a regret that took a while to come out, but it, I experienced a regret in a later time. And if we kind of look behind that decision, we kind of look at this. We say, well, what if maybe I had asked some more questions? What if maybe I had done some more homework? What if maybe if I had looked into this a little bit more? What if maybe I'd gotten some advice? Well, maybe if I had asked some of the right questions, I could have made a better decision. And if I would have made a better decision, then maybe I would have less regrets. And so I just think this is important uh, for all of us. I think it's important that you learn this topic uh, for you, for your kids, for your spouse, for your grandkids. Um, I, listen, Christians I, Christians, I want all of us Christians to make good decisions, right? I want all of us Christians to live a life of, of less regrets. We've got enough regrets from our past, but moving forward. And, um, and we have to remember this too, as we talked about last time. The, the decisions that we make don't, don't just affect us, all right? Don't, don't ever think, well, I'm an island. You're not an island. You're not. The decisions that you and I make affect the people around us, and, and it, may see a, it may take a lifetime to see the effects of the decisions that we've made, but they don't just affect us. And, and not only do our decisions affect other people, um, I think I could say this too. Our regrets, our regrets affect other people as well. And the people all around us. And so it's really important that we talk about this. And uh, I think it's important to remember this too. That private decisions that we make always have public outcomes. Private decisions that we make always have public outcomes. We talked about that as well. 
Sometimes we think, well, I'm just going to make this decision and it only affects me and no one's going to know. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> no one's going to know. Everyone's going to know. Uh, they always, it always has a public outcome. It, you know, secrets always have a tendency to seep and, and they probably won't stay private. So your personal decisions, your even private decisions do affect other people. And it may take a long time to figure that out. And, and the decisions that you make determine the direction and the quality of your life. Why? Because our decisions are like a steering wheel in our life. Our life experiences follow the direction and the decisions that we make. And, and, and the more information that we can acquire to help us make better decisions, help us turn that steering wheel and help us live a life that we look back with less regrets. And then I think the last thing we really kind of covered last time we were together was just the fact that um, we, there's a connection between asking ourselves good questions and making good decisions. Asking ourselves good questions and making good decisions. That's why when we look at the backside of a bad decision, I hear people say this all the time. Well, I should have asked more questions. I should have sought more advice. Well, okay, then that tells me that had you asked more questions, had you sought more advice, had you sought better counsel, had you been honest with yourself a little bit better before you made the decision, then I think we can look and say, well, there probably would have been less regrets moving forward in that. So, uh, uh, we kind of said this, say, well, what if we had some questions? And I told you last time we were together that I'm going to introduce you to three questions that I want you to teach yourself, to ask yourself. Today, we're going we're gonna to look at the first of those three questions, and this question is going to be called the integrity question. Uh, and you say, well, pastor, I don't know if I can teach myself to ask myself questions every time I make a big decision. You don't have to teach yourself to ask yourself questions when you make big decisions. Why? Because you already ask yourself questions before you make a decision. We all do. You just kind of don't realize that you already are in a habit of asking yourself questions. We ask ourselves, every time we make a decision, we ask ourselves questions like this. Will I enjoy this? That's the question we all ask ourselves. Will I enjoy this? Will this hurt me? <laughs> this is usually the question we ask around July 4th. Right? When it comes to the fireworks, you know, well, this one's looking kind of big. Will it hurt me? Uh, the question we should be asking is, will this hurt someone else? Um, will anyone find out? We, we ask ourselves that question all the time. And then this one, this is, this is, I think, all of our favorite. What's my out? If someone does find out. We're so good at that. Well, I'm going to do this, but what if someone finds out? You know, July 4th is coming up in another month or two, and, you know, you light the fireworks. Well, what am I going to say to the cops when they come and pull in my neighborhood? You've already, you've already asked yourself that question. So we're used to asking ourselves this question, and we looked at this verse, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 3. A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now, I asked you to try to memorize this verse last time we were together, okay? Because of Mother's Day and stuff like that, we skipped this for a couple weeks. I'm just curious. Be honest. Be honest. Raise your hand if you've ever memorized this verse, Proverbs 22, uh, 22.3. Raise your hand. Okay, okay, good. Okay, I, I'm trusting you're being honest on that. So maybe about 20 or 30% of you have, have done that. That's good. It's a good verse to memorize. And basically that's kind of rewritten so we kind of understand a little bit better is the prudent sees danger and takes refuge. But the simple keep going. They pay the penalty. They suffer for it. So the concept is that uh, a prudent or an honest person, a wise person, sees a problem coming up and they change direction so that they don't run into the problem, okay? They make a decision to avoid the problem. 
But a simple person or a foolish person, it, it really is what? They keep going. They pay the penalty. They suffer for it. A simple person says, ah, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Boom. And they pay the penalty for it, and they have regrets, and sometimes they pay for a lifetime. But a wise person, a prudent person says, well, wait a second. Hold on. That, that's bad. That's going to cause me a problem. That's going to cost me money. Wait a second. I don't want to go that route. I'm going to change direction. So I'm looking. I'm, I'm, I'm observant. And so that is just really, really a good one today. All right. So that's kind of a quick review. Let's hop into this. Let's talk about the integrity question today. Um, and I want to start off with a quote. I think it's just a great quote because I think it's so honest. And that's this. The easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. The easiest person to deceive is the person in the mirror. I, I want that to sink in. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Better, better than just letting it sink in, I'm going to rub that in a little bit. Uh, get us all annoyed with ourselves a little bit. Think about this just for a moment. You have talked yourself into, matter of fact, you have deceived yourself into, I could say you have sold yourself into every bad decision you have ever made. Do you know that? You've talked yourself into, you've deceived yourself into, you, you've sold yourself on every bad decision you've ever made. Because the easiest person to deceive is who? It's yourself. And, and, and we've done more to undermine our own progress and our own success more than anybody else in the entire planet. You have. And, well, I say you have, but how do I know about you? Because I know about me. <laughs> and, and if there's anybody in this world that has done more to undermine my own success or my own progress, anybody in the whole world, it's been me. I, I've been the biggest stumbling block to me the whole way along. And I've deceived myself. I've sold myself. And, and yes, there's outside pressures. Yes, there's outside influence. Yes, people promise you stuff. They don't deliver. But in the end, church, in the end, we all have to decide. For ourselves, we have to decide. I've had to decide for myself and different things. And, and, I, and I'm just as guilty as everybody in this room. But, but I don't know about you, but let me, let me tell you about me just for a minute and think about this. Tell me if this, if this resonates with you. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have a salesman who lives in my head. He's a sales associate. And it's really weird because the salesman that I hear in my head, he sounds an awful lot like me. How many of you have a salesperson that lives in your brain? Do you have that? And man, <laughs> man I tell you what, they sound a lot, and, and their logic is bad. Uh, their, their sales pitch is totally amateur. It's just, it's, but you know what? I fall for this guy all the time. I mean, it's just, it's a terrible sales pitch. It's amateur. It's beginner. But, but why is that? Why is it that that salesperson can sell me on anything? <coughs> Excuse me. And, and what can we do about it? Well, we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk to talk to ourselves and, and teach ourselves to ask us some questions. And like I said, the first question we're going to learn is called the integrity question. And the reason it's integrity question is because, like I said just a moment ago, the, the person that's the easiest to deceive is, is the person in the mirror. And I guess I could say this, then the, the person that's the hardest to lead is also the person in the mirror as well. Because you can't lead yourself if you're lying to yourself. You ever think about that? If you're deceiving yourself and you're lying to yourself, you can't lead yourself. You know, when, have, have, in your workplace, have you ever tried to lead someone who's a liar? It can't be done. 
It just, if someone's just a compulsive liar and they're always lying, you can't lead them to better things. You, you have a hard time even working with them. What do you do with someone who's a liar at work? Well, the best thing to do with someone who's a liar at work is just fire them. Just get rid of them because, because you can't lead them. You can't change them. Why? Because they're always lying. And, and not only are they always lying to other people, but more than that, they're often lying to themselves about a lot of things. And, and when you start to become a liar, remember this, that if you're dishonest and you can lie to yourself, then it also erodes our credibility as well, right? Someone who's lying, you don't trust them anymore, right? Their credibility is gone. Why? Because they always lie. And you start to question, well, is this the truth or is this not the truth? Is this something that I should believe or is this something that I shouldn't believe? And, and when we have a habit of lying to ourselves um, uh, on the inside, what, what we tend to do, here's what the salesman in my head does. We start to justify the lie. We can tell ourselves a lie pretty quick. We'll lie to ourselves before we'll lie to someone else. And then we'll justify it. We're so good at justifying the lie to ourselves. And, 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 and we start to have this narrative, a story that's built up around a lie. And we start to find out ways that we can justify ourselves. And the thing that we hate to do is we hate to tell ourselves the truth sometimes because we hate to feel bad about ourselves. Now, the world... The world makes a really big deal about feeling bad about yourself. Church, listen, there, there are things worse than feeling bad about yourself, okay? Um, lying to yourself is worse than just feeling bad about yourself, okay? So, so we're going to have to make a decision here when we're going to look at the subject today and we hop into the Bible that we're going to have to learn to be honest with ourselves. And even if it makes us feel bad about ourselves, woe is me, um, we have, we've got to learn that we're going to have to just totally be honest with ourselves and that we're going to have to choose that we're going to have to be honest because if we can't be honest uh, in the front end of, uh, about the questions decisions we have to make, we'll never be honest about the back end. We'll never be honest about making and taking the responsibility for our decisions. So we've got to learn this, and we're going to look at this today, to really develop a habit of telling ourselves the truth, even when it's something we don't want to hear. But um, I think it's just an important thing. So here is the first question, the integrity question. Here's the first question that I want us to learn today, that I want us to think about, and that's this. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? Now, you don't owe it to anybody to necessarily tell the truth to someone else per se, but you've got to be honest with yourself, and you've got to learn to ask yourself this question. Not am I being honest with my spouse or a relative, but I am I being honest with myself? And, and if I'm not honest with myself, like I said before, we're going to start justifying uh, and, and we're going to start building a narrative about why we're not honest. And sometimes I find when I ask myself this question, am I being honest with myself, sometimes it helps me to say this literally out loud, to literally say it with my mouth, am I being honest with myself? Actually, I say it's even this. I think it's even better if you ask this, yourself this question two times. The first time you say, am I being honest with myself? And then the second time, ask yourself the question, but then put the word really at the end of it. So, so am I being honest with myself? Really? <laughs> Why? Because we're so good at deceiving ourselves. We're so good at lying to ourselves. For instance, here's some questions that we're prone to deceive ourselves with. How about this? Why am I doing this? Really? Why am I avoiding him? Really? Why do I keep a friendship with those people? Really? Why do I keep making excuses? Really? Why do I continue to text that person? Really? Why do I keep in touch with that person on Facebook? Really? Why did I say yes? Really? 
Why did I choose to wear this? Really? Why did I choose to purchase that or lease that? Really? Why did I move in? Really? Why am I moving out? Really? Why did I get the divorce? Really? Why wouldn't I just get help? Really? <laughs> now, everyone in this church hates me right now. <laughs> but but isn't that, doesn't that kind of bring out some of those questions and make it a little bit more honest and make kind of a little bit of lump in your throat? If you ask yourself, am I being honest with myself? Really? I mean, really? Am I really honestly and truly being honest with myself? And I think it's important that we say this because the greatest regrets that we have are the things, like I said at the beginning, that we've convinced ourselves of, that we've sold ourselves on. I mean, think back to your last, uh, your last uh, bad relationship. The last bad relationship you had. You were in love, or I don't know, maybe you were in lust, whatever you want to call it, and your mama tried to warn you. Right? Your friends tried to warn you. Well, your pastor tried to warn you. <laughs> and and you, you, you wouldn't hear any of it. You just wouldn't hear any of it. Why? Because we're so good at convincing ourselves and justifying ourselves and, and, and so good at really ultimately lying to ourselves that we've already convinced ourselves, we've already built the narrative, we've already justified it so much that, that no matter what mom said or dad said or the spouse said or our best friend said or even our pastor said, it doesn't matter. We've already convinced ourselves that this is okay and this is the decision that I'm, I'm going to make. And then we look back sometimes and say, what in the world was I thinking? And I'll tell you this from my, experience as counsel, uh, from my experience in counseling, is you weren't thinking at that moment. You weren't. You were, your brain was not thinking. You know what you were doing? You were selling. The sales associate in your brain was selling you. You weren't thinking. Thinking is one plus one equals two. That's thinking. Selling is justifying it in your brain to where you've already convinced yourself I really need that two-door red convertible Corvette. I mean, you've already sold yourself on it, right? That's not thinking. That's justifying it, no matter what it is. And, and we, are, we are so good at doing that. We are so good at convincing ourselves of things sometimes that, that it's not even normal. It doesn't even make sense. But we're just, we're just good at doing that. And no matter what someone says about it, no matter what someone does about it, we have sold ourselves and convinced ourselves that what we're going to do, the decisions that we're going to make, are right. And boy, that really comes down to our pride, doesn't it? All right, let's take our Bible. I want to show you an illustration of this that happened in the Bible. And it's an amazing story. If you have your Bible, open up to the middle of your Bible. You see the book of Psalms, and then go to the right a little bit. Go to the right, just a couple, a couple books. You go to the book of Jeremiah. Now, the book of Jeremiah was written, I don't know, probably about 2,500 years ago or so. The author of the book of Jeremiah is a guy named Jeremiah, right? And um, he's, he's the author, and his job, just so you know, his job is kind of like, he's like a, like a coach, a life coach, a professional counselor, uh, so to speak, a biblical, and, and he's like an advisor to the kings, and, and he's an advisor to the Judean kings. Now, when I say Judean kings, I want to kind of teach you something. So you have, you have the nation of Israel, okay, kind of like, pretend it's long, kind of like the state of Wisconsin, it's kind of long. Okay, if you take from like Jerusalem and go down, the bottom half of that is called Judah, okay? So back in those times, it was down there. So he's an advisor to the kings that were down on this bottom half. Now, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to just fly through a, like a bunch of years really fast. I'm going to tell you the story here real quick. Uh, and, and we're going to see what Jeremiah has to say about it. But there's a lot of kings' names, and sometimes it's easy to trip over the names. So help me out if I trip over it. Just say, ah, Pastor Dan's on NyQuil still. It's totally fine. Uh, but but there's, a, there's a young king, 
and, and Jeremiah is going to be the coach to this young king. The young king's name is Jehoiakim. Jehoi now, why didn't they just have simple names like Bob or Bill back then? But they, this is his name, King Jehoiakim. And he's a pretty young guy at the time, and he becomes king. And at the time, now get this so you can understand the story. Judah, the bottom half of Israel, Judah is paying a tribute over here to, to, uh, to Babylon. Okay, so think of Babylon, think of Iraq. So that's what? East, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So he's paying it to the king. King's name is Nebuchadnezzar, another easy name there. And, and so he's paying a, a tribute to the king, and in return, the king Nebuchadnezzar provides like uh, military support or like, you know, gar I'll, I'll take care of you, I'll watch over you. You guys do what you want, but you pay me a tribute and I'll watch over you and I'll protect you. So sure enough, one day uh, Jehoiakim says, you know what? I've been doing this for a couple years. I'm done paying these taxes. I don't think I'm going to do it. You know what? I'm going to quit paying taxes and this tribute to Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and instead, I'm going to start paying my tribute over here, my loyalty to Egypt. So Egypt's over here on the west side. Well, that's a real big problem because Nebuchadnezzar just got whooped by the Egyptians not too long ago, right? So now all of a sudden, it's like, wait a second, not only did you change your loyalty, but now you just changed banks, and, and now you're going, to, you're going to go to my rival Egypt. And so Jeremiah, the advisor, the counselor, comes up to Jehoiakim and says, hey, king, listen, don't do that, all right? This king over here, Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to go over here. He's going to whoop you up. He's going to tear you guys apart. If he finds out that you stop paying tribute to him, this is a bad decision. He's in a bad mood. Egypt just beat him up a little while ago. Don't do that. And he's going to come down here. He's just it's foolish. It's dangerous. God doesn't want this for your people. Don't do it. And, and your, your total opposition to what God wants for you, I'm telling you, Jehoiakim, don't do this. Well, Jehoiakim is a king, Remember? And what we've learned from the Old Testament about kings is kings do whatever they want to do. Why? Because they're the king. And so Jehoiakim says, well, I'm just going to ignore this good advice. I've already convinced myself. I've sold myself. I haven't really told myself the truth of this. I'm going to do what I want to do. It doesn't matter what anyone advises me to do. And sure enough, just as Jeremiah predicts, Nebuchadnezzar comes knocking on the door saying, I want my money. What happened to your loyalty? And Nebuchadnezzar and his armies come down, they lay siege on Jerusalem, and, and for months on an end, and, and they finally get the whole, they get the hold of Jehoiakim, they take him, now, now catch this, this is really important. They get Jehoiakim, they put him in chains, and, and they bring him back to Babylon. Now listen, now he's bringing him back to Babylon, he puts him in, Nebuchadnezzar puts Jehoiakim in his collection of kings. So Nebuchadnezzar has a collection of kings. Now, some people collect stamps. Uh, some people collect coins. Nebuchadnezzar collects kings, and he puts them together, and when he has a party, he parades them out. They're all chained together, and they're all walking. Uh, the Bible says they're all walking with one arm, one hand on the shoulder of the king in front of them. Why are they doing that? Because the last thing that Nebuchadnezzar does to all the kings when he puts them in his little collection is he blinds them. So he's blinded, and he's got chains on them, and he's following along, and he's in this kingly collection. Well, okay, the story could end there. But does it end there? Of course it doesn't end there. Of course not. It's got to keep going. It's got to go from bad to worse. So the next thing that Nebuchadnezzar does says, well, okay, fine. Uh, you know, this guy, we'll put in my kingly collection. Uh, we'll parade him around. I tell you what, before I leave, I'll have your son. His name is Jehoiachin, so very close names here. He says, I'll make him king. So Nebuchadnezzar goes back home. 
Uh, Jehoiachin is the next king. He's like a teenager. He's like 18 years old or so. And he lasts about three months long. And Nebuchadnezzar comes back and takes him and adds him to his kingly collection, blinds him, puts him in chains, and parades him around as well. So Nebuchadnezzar's got quite the collection of kings going right now. Nebuchadnezzar on his way out the door says, okay, well, listen, we got to have another king here. Uh, how about we make your uncle, Zedekiah, he's a little bit older, he's like 21 years old. Why don't we make him be king? So Zedekiah becomes the king. And, and, and you would think, now pause, church, pause. Don't you think Zedekiah would know from his nephews, wait a second, they didn't listen, and they didn't listen, and they're both over there blinded, part of his collection. What do you think I should do? Should I listen or shouldn't I listen? Well, common sense says to listen, right? Does he listen? No, he doesn't listen. And, and the same thing happens again. And, 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 and uh, uh, Jeremiah goes to him and says, listen, don't do this. You, you've got to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. It's, it's God's plan for your people. Don't, don't ignore this. Don't forget about this. You've got to do this. <coughs> Excuse me. And, 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 and Zedekiah says, well, you know, I don't think I'm going to do it. So Jeremiah does this thing. He goes in the whole city. He starts telling all the people in the city, listen, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. And when he comes and knocks on the city doors, let him in, pray for mercy, and just give him what he wants. He's going to destroy you. Zedekiah gets mad and says, would you stop? You're scaring the children. What are you doing? He takes them and he puts them like in a jail and says, get out of the way. Sure enough, who comes knocking? Guess who comes knocking, church? Who comes knocking? King Nebuchadnezzar comes knocking. Of course he comes knocking. And, 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 and Zedekiah goes back to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, please, I made some really bad decisions. Help me out of this one. <laughs> Jeremiah says, I didn't help me out of this one. The best thing you can do right now, you know, it, it's too late. The best thing you can do right now is open up the doors and beg, beg Nebuchadnezzar for mercy. Okay, so there, he's giving him advice again. So guess what Zedekiah does? Does he go beg the king for mercy? No, what's he do? He gets his kids and his wife, and he escapes out the city through the back door. <laughs> you are so stupid. And it's easy for us to read this and say you're so stupid, right? People have given us advice sometimes, and people have looked at us and said, you're so stupid, why are you doing this? But at the moment... You sold yourself, you convinced yourself, you, you knew it was the right thing to do. And he goes out, with, escapes in the middle of the night, Nebuchadnezzar catches him. And this is just unbelievable, he catches him. And he takes all of his kids, literally, in front of his eyes, he butchers his kids in front of his eyes. Whoa! The last thing that he sees is his kids being butchered. Why? Because then Nebuchadnezzar adds him to his kingly collection and pierces his eyes, and he's blinded. So the last thing he sees is his kids being butchered. Now... I don't know about you, but I've had people say, well, the Old Testament's really boring. <laughs> you obviously haven't read this book because it sounds pretty intense to me. But, 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 but we, don't we sit here and look 2,500 years and you say, what were they thinking? Just pay the king the money, right? What were you thinking? You were given biblical counsel. You were told to do this. And, and, and the problem is they weren't thinking. They were selling themselves. I, I'm exempt from this. It doesn't matter to me. When all this is done, Jeremiah is still writing. He's writing this book. And man, this king did this, and this king did this. And then he comes down to chapter 17. Go to me with Jeremiah chapter 17. All that story to tell you this verse. All that story, because I want you to get it. Chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah says, when he's observing this, he's, he's observing it from the front row. He sees years of this stupidity. He says this. The heart... Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things 
and it's desperately wicked, who can know it? That's Jeremiah's observation of what just took place. He says, he says, your heart, my heart, your precious children's hearts, everyone's heart that you know is deceitful above all things. I think it's interesting there. Just look at that verse for a second. I think that's interesting. Look at this word. The heart is deceitful. I, think that, I don't think that's a mistake he used the word deceitful. Why? Because I think he, he could have grammatically used the word dishonest. The heart is dishonest above all things. But church, I don't think it's a mistake that it says deceitful. Follow me on this. Stick with me on this. Why? Dishonest is different than deceitful. Can I get an amen on that? You can be dishonest with someone and you know someone's being dishonest. How do you know when someone's being dishonest? Because they're not telling the truth. It's dishonest. But deceitful has got a little bit of truth tied with a little bit of dishonesty. For the purpose of what? Deceiving. So it doesn't say your heart is dishonest because you could, you could almost spot someone being dishonest. Well, that person's just not, not honest. But this says it's deceitful. It's shrewd. It's smart enough to deceive you. It's, it's not obvious. It's, it's deceitful. And, and if you ever know someone, a dishonest person or a deceitful person, you know, watch out for the deceitful person. Because, because what happens here is our heart gets wrapped up with something that we want. I mean, look at the verse. Your heart is deceitful. It tricks you. It, it's, it, it's cunning. It's divisive. It, it gets wrapped up in something that you want. You ever have that? You fall in love with someone or something and your heart wants it. Oh, I just want that. I need that, right? And your heart, that's how I see it. Your heart goes to your brain and says, brain, figure out a way to get this, right? Ah, I want this. Brain, you figure out a way to do this. Well, our brains are pretty smart. That's why they call them brains. <laughs> and, and your brain says, okay, boy, it's going to be really difficult to justify a want, but I won't justify it a want. Let's make this into a need. I'm going to sell you on yourself. This is not a want anymore. This has just become a need. And the first thing our brain does is it upgrades this want, this necessity, into something much more sophisticated here. And it says, no, this is a, a justification. There's a need here. This is the justification for buying this. It's a justification for drinking this. It's a justification for asking it out. It's a justification for inviting her in. And, and you'll, you'll justify about anything. Now, let me, give you a, let me give you a proof here, okay? Point, just prove the point. There's nothing wrong, and don't look into this any deeper, this, this illustration, okay? Don't, don't super analyze this, all right? Just an illustration. There's nothing wrong with a nice car, okay? There's nothing wrong with a nice car. There's nothing wrong with a nice car. How many times though, have you bought a new car or a used car, but it was new to you? You bought a car, and you bring it to work, and, and you pull in the parking lot, and, and, and people come up to you, and they're just being nice. Hey, nice car. What's the first thing you do? You justify it. But we all do. We all do. Well, my other car, <laughs> the windshield wipers were going. By the time you get new wipers on there, I put the thing, washer fluid in the car. It just ain't worth it. It was just cheaper just to sell the thing and just buy a new car and have payments. It just, the wipers, it was just, it was done. I mean, it's got like, you know, a couple years on those wipers and I'm just done with it. And the people that you showed that to, the people that you justified it to are going, 
I just thought it was a nice car, you know. But you've already played out that story in your mind. Well, you know, the tires and the things are shot. You know, it's time for a new car. Car payments are a whole lot cheaper than, than buying a new set of tires. You know? and, and, and don't look into it. If you have a new car out there, I don't know about it, right? You're all going, oh my gosh, I bought a new car. It's fine, totally fine. But, but isn't that a true thing? We're used to justifying it. Right? People aren't asking to be unjustified, but we, we're ready on the defense. We're ready to justify those things. <coughs> and no one's even asking you about it. But, but that's what our heart does. Why? Because look at the verse, Jeremiah 79. The heart is deceitful above all things, is desperately wicked. Our hearts are wicked. Translated means incurable, sick, beyond cure. There's no cure. It's a permanent condition. You can't outgrow it. You don't mature out of it. <laughs> You're doomed. <laughs> you can't fix this. It, it's, just, it's, it's just a permanent condition that requires constant supervision, proactive response to it. And Jeremiah here is wrapping up the whole story saying, listen, we've all experienced this in some sense, in some degree, but the heart is deceitful. It's deceptive above all things. It's beyond cure. And you just can't understand it. We read the story in, in the book of Jeremiah, and we all sit there and we go, what were they thinking? How could you let this happen? How could you watch your kids be, be chopped up in front of you? What were you thinking? You weren't thinking. The heart was deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. They had convinced themselves of what they wanted to do, and it didn't matter who said what or what advice they got. They were going to do what they were going to do. And it doesn't matter what anyone's going to put on it, what anyone's going to say. So, so, so church, back to the question. Am I being honest? Really? But I, I'd say, I'll give you this. I'll say this. The next time you have a big decision to make, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to ask yourself, I want you to have a heart-to-heart -heart question with yourself and talk to yourself. But I want you to do it in a mirror, and I want you to ask that question in a mirror. Better yet, I want you to do this. <clears throat> I want you to put your name in front of that sentence. So, so you look in a mirror, when you're going to make a big decision, you look in a mirror, and you say your name. Dan, am I being honest with myself? Dan, are you being honest with yourself, really? All right, you kind of say it like that, you kind of shake your head a little bit. But you say your name, and you ask that question, and, and you just be totally honest with yourself. Now, even if you're not going to change your mind, even if you're still going to do the same decision, at least, number one, be honest with yourself, okay? Because you, you may ask yourself the question, am I being honest with myself, really? And you're going to say, nope, I'm not being honest with myself. This is not a need, this is a want, you know, or whatever it is. Or I'm doing this or I'm not doing I don't care what anyone says. You owe it to yourself at least to be honest to yourself, okay? Regardless of which way you end up going, at least be honest to yourself. Why? Think about this. What's the verse we asked last week, we talked about last week? The prudent man foresees danger. If you could start, when you're going to make a decision by asking yourself an honest question and you truly being honest with yourself, Dan, why am I doing this? Really? The prudent man sees danger. Okay. I just answered. I was honest with myself. I see there's financial danger up there. I see there's, there's academic danger up there. I see there's spiritual danger up there. I see there's a problem coming. Why? Because I was honest enough to ask myself the question, am I being honest with myself really? Even if you take the mirror and you throw it away and you still walk forward and you still 
walk into the wall. <laughs> At least you were being honest with yourself. You're not going to blame anybody for it. Okay, I'm not saying do that. But a prudent man foresees, foresees the problem coming up. Maybe you pausing to ask yourself the question, am I being honest with myself, really? That just may keep you from running into a brick wall or having a problem and running into some evil that you're going to have to pay an awful lot of regrets for. Why? Just because you're going to be honest with yourself. Am I being honest with myself, really? All right, here's a couple of questions I want you to think about this week. You have them in your verses there. And I want you to think about this. I want you to ponder this a little bit. And, and here's, here, here, here's, some, here's some questions I want you to think about. <clears throat> if a used car dealer said to you the kind of things that you say to yourself when selling yourself, how would you respond? <laughs> how would you respond? If someone tried to convince you as much as you convince yourself, how would you respond? How would you respond to a used car dealer? I'm picking on car dealers today. Right? How you'd say, you're a nutcase. Get out of here. You'd walk away, wouldn't you? I'm convinced the sales associate in my head worked at a Ford dealer at one time. I don't know. <laughs> Number two, where do you struggle the most in telling yourself the truth? Where do you struggle the most? We, we all have areas that we just don't want to be truthful about it, right? What, what area do you struggle the most in telling yourself the truth? And the third question I want you to ponder this week, is it possible that you're holding on to a lie, a comfortable, maybe even a comforting lie, but that lie that's holding you back from what God really wants you to do? Is it possible you're holding on to a lie? Is it possible that you have convinced yourself of something and you are just going to hold on to it, and in doing that, you're keeping yourself from doing what and being what God is calling you to do or to be? But you're so comfortable with that lie, you've convinced yourself, you have sold yourself so well that you're, there's no way in the world you're going to change. Is there something? Is it possible there's something? I think there is. There's my life, there's in your life. It's got to be. Why? Because Jeremiah said the heart's deceitful above all things. And it's all of our hearts. It's your heart and it's the preacher's heart. We are so good at lying to ourselves. We are so good at, at, at convincing ourselves. Our brain is so good at justifying it. So am I being honest? Really, really, am I? Okay? Now, with that said, how many of you are coming back next week? <laughs> no one's coming back next week. You're like, this is the worst message I've ever heard. It's terrible. I hate it. So my encouragement then next week is just wear steel-toed boots, all right? <laughs> and, and bring a mirror next week. We'll, we'll all ask ourselves the question. But... It, that is good, though, isn't it? I mean, is there some good points there that Jeremiah made? Yeah, man, I hate that verse. But boy, it's truthful. This, guys, listen, if you'll lean into that, if you'll, if you'll start to grab hold of that, don't you want a life that you, 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 you can look back and there's just not all the regrets? Don't you want that moving forward? Don't you want that for your kids? Don't you want that for your grandkids? Don't you want that for your, your nieces and nephews? I do. I, I want it for my kids. I want it for my family. I just don't want them to live a life of regrets. I don't want them to live a life of my regrets. I just don't, right? So let's lean into this and let's see if God can't work in our hearts. And we ask that question if he doesn't show us some evil coming up and help us to change our course, okay? All right, the best news in the world, church, is what? Is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? I don't know everybody here today, but I do know this, that God loves us so much he sent his son to die on the cross to pay our sin debt. And that no matter what you've done, no matter what regret you've had, no matter what bad decision you've ever made, God loves you so much that Jesus Christ spread his arm, died on the cross, paid the sin debt, and you can know for certain you have eternal life. 
Because a lot of us, maybe you grew up thinking you had to be good. I, I know there was a time in my life I thought I had to be good. Or you have to go to church, or you have to take communion, or you have to be baptized to go to heaven. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says if you would simply trust, depend, rely upon the fact that Jesus paid your debt for you, you can know for certain you have eternal life. That's all. The Bible doesn't say anywhere in here that your goodness will send you to heaven. It doesn't say that. Take a look at this verse over here, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says this, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's, it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Look at this next word, not of works. That's what got me. That's what changed my life. It's not something you do that saves you. It's what Jesus Christ did. But it's a matter of us saying, God, I can't pay it. I can't do it. But you did it. You paid for it. And I'm trusting in what you did to pay my debt, to pay for my sins. I'm going to heaven, guys. Not because I'm good, not because I'm a preacher, but because Jesus paid my debt. And I'm trusting fully in that. I've been saved by grace, right? Because I believe that Jesus Christ paid my sins. We are very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.